The Why Watch That Talk. Ooh, listeners. <laughs> I got to tell you, I, I don't know about you, but I heard the critic just got back from a vacation. Yes. <laughs> the, the first one in 15 years. That is years. <laughs> years. 100 years. <laughs> Well, I tell you what, I'm, I'm going to need you to dust off them cobwebs Ooh. in your brain because I yeah. know that you fully realized that TV was moving along as you were sitting by the pool, eating your uh, <laughs> whatever. Yes. Whatever's bringing you whatever, eating your uh, potatoes by the pool. French fries <laughs> or vacation. No, you had a treat. Well, listen, we're going to call this the October TV Fest because Ooh. it is definitely not stopping. Mm. We've got some premieres. We've got some mid-season uh, finales. We're not even going to be able to finish all of this. We're going to just break this down into two parts. So October TV Fest Part 1, here we go. Yeah. It is Halloween season. Scary. we got Halloween. The movie is out. You've got all kind of uh, the nun. Everything is out there. Well, okay. let's just add to that Netflix's The Haunting of Hill House. If you don't know, it was based on a novel, and then there was a movie sometime in the 90s, and now it's a TV show. Yes, 10 episodes on Netflix. Mm. And I got a chance to see the first episode, Mm -hmm. and you, Critic, got a chance to look at it as well. So, mm, what do we got here? (laughs) Well, it's 1992, and that's what this show calls then. (laughs) (laughs) And Hugh and Olivia Crane move their family into an old house so they can renovate it. That's what they do. And with them in the house are their five children, Stephen, Shirley, Theo, and twins, Luke mm-hmm. and Nell. Now, of course, the house is haunted, supposedly, mm-hmm. which leads to dire consequences. And these dire consequences still have an effect on the siblings and their father now. Because in the now timeline, mm-hmm. the survivors of the events in the haunted house have chosen different ways to cope with what happened to them many years ago. Uh, Stephen is an author of books about hauntings. Yeah. Shirley is a mortician. Oh. Theo is a child psychologist. Uh. Luke is a drug addict. Y- yes, and yeah, be breaking in people's homes. And Nell just can't seem to shake what happened to her in that house. So the house seemingly still has a way to wreak havoc on them. And the question is, What can they do about it? Is there a way to prove once and for all that the haunting is real or that it's not real? And either way, can they use that information to move forward from the tragedies in their lives? Mm -hmm. Now, I remember sitting in, I sat in a theater and watched the first episode and uh, (laughs) it's not one of those, I'll just say this and move on. It's Mm. not a, it's not a scary TV show. It's not yeah. scary. Mm. It is creepy. It's just creepy. You've got Bitnick, Lady. You've got, you know, <coughs> Mr. Dudley floating around. You've got all kinds of just strange happenings and scares, like a door slamming and, you know, it slams loud and you kind of leap up. But it's not something like um, I would call, it's not like Saw or mm. it's not like um, Freddy Cougar. Mm-hmm. It's definitely, for me, at least my experience, that it's a it's a TV show that does a good job of creeping you out. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, when it comes to horror, I expect to be scared. I got to the third episode of this and I wasn't scared yet. Okay. No. Mm-hmm. And then, so then the question is, how long am I, I going to wait? Now, what's scary, what's not scary, that's up to different people. Like, you know. But I don't think a lot of people, like you were saying, would call it scary. And that's ignoring professional TV critics. because They all call it scary, except for one. <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> no, somebody else. So in the absence of that, here's the question, Ref. Well, what remains, right? Even Cosmopolitan did this. They did this article on, oh, the best horror is not scary. Okay, well, what is it supposed to be then? It got to be something. So it could be funny. It could be thrilling. It could be suspenseful, creepy, like you were saying, I love that word, or dramatic. Well, basically, this goes to the drama route for me. And so if it's a family drama, that's how we're viewing it. It's not that good to me. I, I mean, it's hard to care about these people who have all these problems from a haunted house when I'm not scared. Mm. I, it's just yeah. not grounded to me. So this is what I would say. It looks like Tim Burton could have done this or been involved. And that's not not. It's not a bad thing. And you can tell that everybody here is really trying to do good work. So that's my take. You do with that what you will. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Yeah. The Romanoffs. Mm. Weiner. Uh, I always want to call him something else. <laughs> uh, it's on Amazon Prime. So if you have that feature, if you have that, uh, you can watch the first two episodes. And then they'll be releasing an episode per week. So it's not like something that you can binge. But you, you're going to have to wait. And I got a chance to see the first two, and you did too. Now, remember, this is the guy who did Mad Men. This is the brain of Mad Men, the creator. And yeah. he did the Romanoffs, and this is his first TV show with a streaming device, like with, with a streaming uh, network. So he has a little more leeway than he did at AMC. Yeah, a lot more. Um, now, this show, it's a contemporary anthology series that's set around the globe, featuring eight separate stories about people who believe that they are descendants of the Russian royal family. The crazy Russian. (laughs) All right. All right. (laughs) Now, like you said, we've seen the first two parts. In the first part, Aaron Eckhart plays the American nephew of a wealthy French Romanoff woman. He, along with his entitled French girlfriend. Oh my gosh. They expect to inherit his aunt's apartment after she dies. And that could be at any moment. The famous apartment where all of the Romanoffs, the last (laughs) remaining Romanoffs were killed. It's a very well-known apartment. Yes. And you know, her health is in decline. She requires in-home care. However, she's, yeah, exactly. But you know, cause she's not satisfied by that care. (laughs) And she has harsh and racist opinions about who should do what and where in France. Come on now. So when a Muslim caretaker arrives, all bets are off, but for whom? Mm. That's the real question. Now in part deux of this anthology series, Corey Stoll and Carrie Bichet play Michael and Shelley Romanoff, a couple whose marriage is on the rocks. So after my, uh, Michael meets an attractive woman at jury duty, 
He decides to use jury duty as an excuse to not join his wife at his Romanoff family reunion on a yacht or wherever they are. On a cruise. Cruise ship. She goes all by herself. And while she's away and he's at jury duty, they each... Boys will play. (laughs) They're each tempted by what could be. We won't tell you how that ends. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you what, I'll give you a hint. Just watch your back. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, that's right. Watch your back. You know what, I watched this and to be honest with you, I'm, it's, it's not, I, I don't have to watch it anymore. I don't, I, I don't. And it's not because, I mean, the people that Matt cast, these are just, these are top notch actors who really know what they're doing with complicated material. Like they have a history of dealing with, you've got, um, I forget the guy's name, but the guy from House of Cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, or yes, um, in the second episode. Yeah, Corey got, Stoll. Mm-hmm. Cor- yes, Corey Stoll. You've got Aaron Eckhart. These are people who really know what they're doing. I just found the material, the written material lacking. And if you are interested in a slow burn, for me it was a slow burn. You you can't trust where things, you don't know where things are going. Mm-hmm. And you kind of like, there are some surprises here and there, but you don't quite know how they arrive. These characters arrive to those places, these deep places they go to. If that's your thing, if you're just kind of interested in character study and just a slow burn, this may be for you. For me, I don't need it. I, I just don't. I don't think it's his best work. I don't think it's interesting, but uh, but that's me. Well, from the beginning of this show's first episode, you know what? The timing was off. Yes. Off. Some of the pauses, they were either unnecessary or too long. It was just awkward and not in a good way. Not like they were trying to be awkward. I felt awkward. And then when you put that with harsh and offensive exchanges, it's problematic. Like, if you're going to do that, you have to do it well. Like, if a main character is going to say racist stuff, even if they're jokes, you better make it worth it. Yeah. That's not what's going on here. Uh, even if the execution was spot on, though, like you were saying, the writing. Ooh. Well, you got someone. He got Matthew writing and directing. Yeah. All so yeah. it's you know with other writers, of course, but yeah, that's that's a challenge. And it, the problem continued in the second episode. But I will say, uh, while that episode was oddly lifeless, <laughs> it wasn't as bad as the first one. No, <laughs> you're right. You're right. And you know what it's like, ref. It's like watching a bad Woody Allen film. <laughs> the second one was <laughs> so it, you know Matt It's I just don't think he has the same grasp of this material as he did with Mad Men and also we have to tell listeners these episodes are more like movies they are over an hour 20 minutes yes, yes so keep that in mind that's really what it's like just like the ref said I'm not watching the third I don't care who's in the cast yeah <laughs> Moving on, Light as a Feather on Hulu just released its uh, batch, I guess. What, can you binge it? I don't know. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, you can. If you want to do that, you know, now, when I hear Light as a Feather, I think of that old, you know, stuff. Yes. I, don't, I don't mess with that, but 
what was your, what was your take? <laughs> well, yeah. So it's it's about five teenage girls, um, and, and they have to deal with the supernatural fallout stemming from, as you said, light as a feather, stiff as a board. That game. Okay. So what happens is someone predicts the way they're going to die as a twist on the game, mm. and they start dying that way. Oh, see. So what's the evil force behind this? All of that. So Violet's the new girl in town. She becomes the mistaken victim of a prank by four friends in high school, the new school she's going to. So to make up for the prank, uh, McKenna, Alex, Candace, and Olivia take Violet under their wing, clueless style. Gotcha. But they have no idea what's in store for them because Violet is obsessed with one of them. And that's McKenna. And McKenna's still dealing with a tragedy that rocked her family years ago. Now, things take a turn for the worse when Violet suggests that they play that game, right? Mm. Uh Uh-oh. And now you can imagine what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. Now, some of the friends don't suspect Violet. One of them does. Uh Now, we have to say... The writing and acting here can be challenging, folks. Hmm. Uh, case in point, when one of the friends seems to be choking, this happens. The reaction is like this. Oh my gosh, is she choking? Does anyone yep. know how to do the Heimlich maneuver? I do. No, don't touch her. I'll do it. Oh. Come on. Come on. I mean, if I had friends like that, we wouldn't be friends if I survived. Yeah. Like, it would be over. Uh, so, but I will say this show probably won't work for people out of high school. If you're in high school, I think that it would be more of a hate watch. Mm. Uh, but I will say this, it's only 30 minutes per episode. So that's not bad. No, not bad at all. Yeah. Titans on, what is it on? DC Universe. It's on DC Universe. <laughs> I didn't know that existed. <laughs> Nine episodes, and it's already been renewed for its second season. It's had its series premiere. And these are like the young, uh, I don't want to say this because it sounds bad, but the young off-brand. Or off- <laughs> like, it's not like, ooh, let's watch a young Superman or a young Superboy. It's just sort of like Wonder Girl. And <laughs> just yeah. folks that you just quite, you know, Mm-hmm. You don't really go goo goo gaga over them, but it's there they are. They yeah, the most them. famous Titan is Robin of Batman yeah. and Robin. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, DC Universe is a new offering from DC. It's a standalone app that you get. You can uh, go there and actually you get access to comic books and old TV shows and movies and now new TV shows because, of course, they've got to justify whatever the $8 per month that they're charging. Mm. Um, so this is the first show. They will have a spinoff of this show as well that's in the oh, works. I think it's Doom Patrol. So in this show, in Titans, it's been a month since Dick Grayson, that's Robin, mm-hmm. since he left Gotham City to work as a detective in Detroit. Now, he's not happy. <laughs> <laughs> he's not happy with his former partner. Guess who that is? Batman! And he doesn't want a new one. Oh. He also has other complicated relationships from his past to deal with. So he skulks around, he fights crime in his own way, until he encounters a mysterious teenage girl who knows the intimate details of his parents' death. Mm. Her name is Rachel, otherwise known as Raven, 
and she has powers that she has no idea of how to control. She's afraid of herself. <laughs> and her mother's like, look, you're possessed by the devil. Uh-oh. Now, Raven has good reason to want Robin's protection. There are all kinds of people after her, including some guy who tells her that she's a bad, bad girl. However, someone else who might have a different opinion is looking for her as well, but she doesn't know that yet. And that someone else is Corey, also known as Starfire. Now, Starfire isn't exactly sure why she's after Raven, because she's having some sort of amnesia episode. Oh my God. And this creates other pressing problems for her too. And to round out the eventual Titans team is Gar, also known as Beast Boy, who does the kinds of things that an average teenager would do if they could, you know, shift into an animal. Oh my gosh, I can't even. <laughs> now, okay, here we go again, writing and acting. In the first two episodes that I watched of this show, it's wanting. <sighs> but if you're a fan of comic book TV shows, I'll say this, why not check this out? This is what I say. Wait a couple of weeks or three weeks. You'll have a few more episodes of this first season's 12 episodes available. You can get a free seven-day trial for DC Universe and see for yourself. Because the storylines, yeah, they seem familiar, but there's some potential when it comes to the mix of characters. It doesn't look bad, and they're able to go further than they would with the uh, DC shows on CW. Gotcha. Okay? Plus, just to say... The people behind it are behind like every DC show. So they have experience, you know. That's not encouraging. Okay, (laughs) CW, guess what they're bringing? Guess what they brought back? Yeah. Charmed! Yes, you remember Charmed. If you are under 25, no, you don't. (laughs) If you are, what, I would say 27, 28 and older, maybe you you caught some. Yeah, I was in the 90s, right? Tail end of Charmed. Maybe you were a little too young, but. It's back, and it's for a brand new set of millennial or Gen Zers, probably. At mm-hmm. this point. Yeah. Um, so it's a reboot. It's not a revival. Uh, so here we have sisters Mel and Maggie. They couldn't be more different. Maggie's in her first year at college, and she's pledging for the prototypical sorority. Right. Mel's in grad school, and she's fully immersed in the Time's Up Me Too movement. However, their mom, Marisol, has raised them to have each other's backs, which they do. But why was it so important that Marisol raised them that way? Well, after a demonic force oh, Lord. kills mom, <laughs> the sisters find out that they're witches. Oh, God. And that they have an older sister named Macy who was seemingly abandoned by mom and who's now a brilliant scientist. (laughs) And they're all under, like, 22. Yeah, they're like, you know, I think Macy's like 25 or something. They also have an advisor and protector named Harry who took over for their mother as the head of the Department of Women's Studies at the college, much to Belle's chagrin. And Harry explains things essentially in this way. You each have different powers that match your different personalities. But to keep those powers, all three of you must choose to be witches. And by doing so, you'll have to save the world from demons. However, if at least one of you declines, you'll go back to your normal life without any memory of your powers. Can you guess what they choose to do? Oh, well, we wouldn't have a show. 
Now, <laughs> all we have is the first episode, Ref, and the pilot worked best when the sisters and Harry were all together playing off of one another. It was kind of fun. I gotta give it to them. But they got a bunch of kinks to work out execution-wise. The rhythms, it, they weren't quite right, but they did get better uh, wow. throughout the episode. Uh, I hope that continues. Another thing they need to watch out for is the use of Time's Up and Me Too. Like, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. I know that's their goal. Uh, when they combined it with humor, it was at its best. Otherwise, it just felt forced. So we'll see what happens after that. But I will say this. If you're interested in a supernatural comedy drama that might turn into something that's consistent and fun, and you don't mind the CW stuff, check it out. You know, you have this inclusive set of characters and cast, even though there's some controversy behind that, which I won't get into. But along with that, you have zippy pacing. And it had enough flashes of entertainment to suggest that it might become charming after all. Well, move over Alyssa Milano and Shannon Doherty. We've got new girls yes. back in town. Let's let's go to camping. Let's go camping. Okay. <laughs> On HBO, eight episodes. This is that Jennifer Gardner new TV show. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she plays Catherine, who wants everything her way. Period. Okay. So when she plans a camping trip to celebrate her husband Walt's 45th birthday, everything must be just so, regardless of what anyone else thinks. But unfortunately for her, things just won't go her way. The proprietors of the camp are certainly lacking in conscientiousness. Hmm. And the guests don't make things any better by throwing her some curveballs. Uh, Catherine's much different sister, Carlene, and Carlene's husband, Joe, arrive late. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Plus, Catherine has to deal with Walt's brother, George, and George's wife, Nina Joy, who was Catherine's best friend until she was on the receiving end of one of Catherine's fits in the recent past. Now, Catherine tries to apologize, but that don't go well. Okay. Now, the final couple who's supposed to join them is now no longer a couple. Walt's friend Miguel brings his girlfriend Jandis to the camp instead of bringing his now estranged wife. And Jandis is the antithesis of Catherine. Yay. In addition, somebody brings some teenager to this all adult camping trip, which of course, you know, Catherine's like, what are you doing? That's completely inappropriate. Even though she brought her younger son. <laughs> but she goes, hey, it's Walt's birthday, so that doesn't count. Now, all in all, in the end, it's not going to end well, of course. So you mentioned, Ref, this is starring Jennifer Garner. It is created by the same people behind Girls, mm. Lena Dunham and Jenny Connor. Okay? So they have proven that they can make annoying characters watchable. <laughs> They've done it. But this time, no. N well, at least not based on the pilot. Uh, the problem here, in my opinion, is that Catherine isn't just annoying and hypocritical and disagreeable. She's bossy as well. Mm. So with that kind of personality mix, uh, if you want people to laugh, she needs to be checked appropriately mm. in various ways. But the best they could do on that count in the pilot was to have everyone ignore her by getting into the water against her plans and wishes. I mean, that is way too tame. No. So unless they change that dynamic quickly, it's going to be difficult for this show to keep viewers. Just who's going to want to watch this show that makes you feel like you're on a camping trip from hell? Oh, boy. Well, I know who could check her. His name is The Critic. Okay. 
Shameless is concluding its mid-season finale. Remember, we're yeah. splitting it up. Um, some here, some there. And we've got some characters who've been there day one who are taking their final bow this season and some in this mid-season finale. Yeah. Shameless is changing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, you know, during this first half of season nine, the Gallagher's have, as always, undergone some changes. Okay, so after championing the election of a Roy Moore-like politician, Frank, the supposed patriarch, has found the next love of his life, oh. a psychologist with mental health issues, played by Katie Segal. <laughs> now Fiona, after doing so well as a businesswoman, is in a huge hole financially, which is compounded by the discovery that her boyfriend's married with kids. Ooh. Now, it doesn't end well for either of them. Lip, after caring for a little girl whose mother just went away and then came back, well, he's now sponsoring addicts and working as a sober companion to a star actress played by Courtney Cox. <laughs> now, he may have found love, too, but it doesn't look like that's going to end well. Okay. Moving on down the siblings, we get to Ian. Uh, after being looked up to as the gay Jesus, oh he pleaded guilty to a crime and was locked up. But just who was waiting for him when he arrived in prison? Mm -hmm. Now, this is the, probably the last that we'll see of Ian because Cameron Monaghan, as you alluded to, who plays him, has left the show after episode six. Okay. Oh, really? Moving on to Debbie. Debbie's having her own Me Too moment and she thinks that maybe she's a lesbian. But no one else agrees with her, including her on-again, off-again girlfriend. Okay. Now, she also helps Fiona get revenge on her married boyfriend, and I won't tell you how that goes down. Moving on to Carl. Carl wants to go to West Point, and surprisingly, he has a chance, even though he has no understanding how to take any test whatsoever, period. Okay. And then we get to the youngest Gallagher. At age nine, we have Liam. Uh, he had to leave private school, but not longer, uh, not long after he started attending classes at public school, the powers that, that be said, you know what, you should be in sixth grade. <laughs> okay. And outside of that, he just looks at all these people and shakes his head. Now, this leaves the Gallagher's married neighbors and friends, V and Kevin, after turning their bar from the, quote, rapiest bar on the south side of Chicago. Oh, my gosh. To the most inviting one for females. Kevin wants another baby, but V ain't having none of that. Even still, maybe there's a compromise on the horizon. So once again, Shameless finds new ways to present outrageous storylines with humor and drama. It's a well-oiled machine, but it's going to have a major task on its hands to say farewell to Emmy Rossum at the end of the second part of the season. But I'm sure they're going to do that well. Now, as I've always said about this show, if you haven't started it and you're interested, keep in mind that the first season is definitely its weakest, so you have a better sense of what it really is in season two. Well, there you have it. We're going to take a pause, a break, yes. and conclude this episode. Uh, listen, TV's not slowing down. We say that every time! <laughs> so why don't you believe this, listeners? Why don't you believe? 